to Meldon Law and Friends. I'm Jeffrey Meldon, founder and attorney at Meldon Law. I want to uh, say hi to everybody. I've been out of town for a couple weeks. I uh, had a great time on a uh, uh, trip to Israel. And uh, wow, what an amazing uh, country. What's uh, really surprising is you read about uh, all the missiles being fired and everything else. And when we went there, there was nothing, nada. It was uh, the safest place, safer than uh, any city in uh, Florida, that's for sure. And uh, I think part of the reason is just uh, that uh, the country has uh, lived to, uh, uh, you know, manage their uh, uh, whatever uh, the uh, enemies uh, on their borders uh, throw at them. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, had a great time. We went to the new National Library for the State of Israel, which my um, stepdaughter, my wife Patricia's uh, daughter, is a managing architect on the project. Uh, Becky Cohen is an amazing young uh, architect who is, uh, at the age of 31, already uh, involved in supervising construction of the uh, National Library, which is a huge, uh, huge project, and it should be open in about six months. You've been working there for about five years on the project, and uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, my daughter, Jessica Meldon Nassim, uh, was there also for the new blood bank that uh, the Israeli equivalent of the Red Cross has put together. It's called Magen David. Adam. Magen David stands for uh, the Star of David. Adam stands for red. So uh, in Israel, since it's a Jewish state, you wouldn't have the Red Cross. You'd have uh, the Red Star of David. And uh, the amazing blood bank, it's the number one blood bank in the world as far as uh, the number of different specimens that they have and the security attached to it. They built the uh, vault uh, uh, three stories underground so that it would be secure from many attacks by missiles or uh, anything else that uh, might occur. And uh, they've been working on that project for four years. Uh, interestingly enough, the, the number one donor for that project is uh, the um, owner of Home Depot. Um, uh, Bernie Marcus. So uh, anyhow, uh, that was pretty cool because I've been hearing about the construction of the uh, blood bank uh, for years. Uh, my wife Patricia and I really loved uh, our time in Israel. We went with um, 800 people from uh, the Miami uh, Jewish Federation. And uh, wow, what a trip. I mean, they uh, when you have 800 people, uh, you get all the best uh, speakers, you get uh, the most uh, interesting uh, events. Uh, you don't travel with 800 people, there's 20 buses, so about 35, 40 people in each bus. And uh, you have a professional guide with you that uh, really make, makes the uh, trip and the country come alive. So uh, that was pretty exciting. One of the highlights was we had a big party in the desert right near the Dead Sea 
and you cre they literally created uh, a party scene in a town in the middle of the desert and wound, you know, put it up in a, a day or two and took it down the next day after we partied, but 800 people. It was really cool. We, uh, they had a, uh, uh, a light show in the sky, except it wasn't just lights. It was um, uh, 150 drones that were coordinated by a computer uh, in the sky. It was dark out, and uh, there was, uh, you know, the images of uh, the state of Israel, the flag. It was uh, Independence Day uh, there, as well as Memorial Day. And uh, if you can imagine being in the middle of the desert with uh, mountains all around you and uh, in the middle of the sky having 150 drones uh, creating this uh, tapestry of, uh, of uh, art and uh, symbols, it was uh, pretty cool. Big, a big band was playing, several bands, and uh, people were uh, in a festive mood and dancing. So that was, uh, among other things, uh, a highlight. Uh, I would recommend highly that everybody visit uh, the country of Israel because uh, it's the center for the three major religions in the world, and it's uh, safe, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, all the stuff you read in the Bible is there, uh, and you, get, you actually get to see it uh, live and up close. So uh, let's, uh, let's put that on our bucket list, everybody. A couple other things that are coming up in uh, uh, north central Florida uh, we are celebrating the 24th anniversary of the Meldon Law TV20 Scholar Athlete of the Year uh, banquet. Uh, we're going to have about 175 people at the Hilton uh, dining room. Uh, and we, we love our Scholar Athlete program. Uh, we've had some amazing uh, athletes. Uh, come through that program, and not only that, they're all brilliant. <laughs> they're all, you know, straight A students for the most part, and are uh, also leaders within their uh, class and their community. So you've got uh, outstanding athletes who are straight A students and leaders in their group, and they're going to all continue to uh, shine in the future. It's it's definitely a uh, uh, a big event. And TV20 is our partner in it, and they will be broadcasting uh, from on the 11 o'clock news, and then uh, that is coming up, uh, let's see, May 11th. So that's a week from this coming uh, Thursday, uh, and it's going to be just an amazing event. Uh, we, we, it's my favorite day of the year. It's, it's more fun than uh, my birthday because... We get to uh, meet all these great uh, student athletes, as well as their coaches, families, uh, uncles, aunts, grandparents, uh, mom and dad, brothers, sisters. So uh, we really cherish the uh, program because it's uh, something that we started uh, a long time ago, and uh, we really are looking forward to making it a huge night. So uh, remember, May 11th, uh, turn on TV20 and you'll see all about 
the Scholar Athlete Program. Couple other things. A Wombash 23, a two-day music festival starting on May 12th at the First Magnitude Brewery right off Main Street near the Cade Museum from 6 till 11 p.m. And uh, Melden Law is uh, sponsoring uh, the two-day event. May 13th, the next day, uh, the event is going to move over to the Heartwood Soundstage starting at 2 p.m. and going till 11 p.m. Uh, the headline act is Sister Hazel, which uh, is going to be performing there, taking the stage at 9.30 p.m. on Saturday night. So uh, it's a big deal. Uh, for those of you don't, that don't uh, know, there's a station uh, in town called the Wombat, and it's 90.1 FM. Great uh, collection of music. Uh, they uh, broadcast all kinds of, of different music, every genre you can think of. And it's turned into a, uh, it started out as an, kind of an underground uh, thing, and uh, it's blossomed into a major influencer in the north central Florida market. Uh, coming up, May 13th, uh, the 28th Bob Dooley Invitational Golf Tournament at Ironwood Golf Course. Uh, this uh, event and tournament benefits Stop Children's Cancer. Uh, uh, my good friend Howard Freeman uh, and his wife started uh, the Stop Children's Cancer program probably 30 some years ago. And this event honors uh, all the families and children that uh, are dealing with uh, cancer-related diseases and trying to raise money so that we can find cures uh, to help uh, those children who are suffering. Uh, we're going to be a uh, sponsor for the event, and uh, we're going to be providing all the players and volunteers the opportunity to win some free Gator swag. There's going to be, I'll tell you, they have the best silent auction at this event. I went there last year and got, uh, see, a really good uh, deal on a Yeti cooler. I got a good deal on some uh, uh, a Gator helmet signed by some of the uh, uh, former stars of uh, the Gator football team. So just the silent auction is uh, really cool. Uh, there's a dinner Friday night, May 12th, and if anybody's interested, uh, just go online and put in Bob Dooley. Uh, by the way, that's Pat Dooley's father. For those of you that follow the uh, sports uh, scene show uh, on WRUF at, uh, AM from 4 to 6 every uh, day, Monday through Friday, you know who Pat Dooley is. Pat was, uh, of course, the uh, famous sports writer for the Gainesville Sun for 30 years and really uh, is perhaps the most knowledgeable commentator on the history of Gator sports. So uh, check it out. It's for a great cause. And it's really a lot of fun. Uh, the golf tournament is uh, more fun than serious and it uh, benefits an amazing array of, uh, of uh, kids that need help. So let's all pitch in and see what we can do to help out. 
Uh, anyhow, uh, we're, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, we've got uh, Matt Carrillo, who's an attorney specializing in workers' comp law, uh, who's going to be uh, talking about uh, what, you know, about workers' comp. A lot of, a lot of workers get injured, and uh, he helps them uh, to get back onto the road to recovery. So uh, we're going to take a short break on Melvin Law and Friends, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Melden Law has been serving personal injury victims since 1971. In those days, Jeffrey Melden's presence as an attorney in the music scene dubbed him with the nickname, The Hippie Attorney. And although times have changed, two things haven't. Our commitment to bettering our community by helping the injured. Albert, are you ready to go to the game? And our love for the Florida Gators. If you bleed orange and blue, Melden Law is the firm for you. Well, I'm joining the band, of course. Since Melvin Law is the official law firm partner of the Florida Gators, I want to help. Dad, we're litigators. Let's stick to helping people in the courtroom. Well, can we still hang out and jam a little bit? At Melvin Law, we won't back down. I was going down a one-way street, and a girl that was driving her car T-boned me on my scooter. I ended up going for an MRI and discovering that I had two herniated discs. Coming to carry allowed me to not have to worry about what doctor I was going to see or what physical therapist I had to go to. They say, these are the people we trust. You're going to have a great experience there. And I honestly did each time. Call Melden Law. Your consultation is absolutely free. I was driving behind a lady and very suddenly she moved out of the way. There was a log laying in the road. And when I hit my brakes, I went on top of the log. I had 280 discs. I just haven't been the same since. Jeffrey Melden fought for me all the way. Him and his team really went there for me. Throughout the whole lawsuit, he made sure that my bills was paid. It was never no whenever I called him and asked him for something. Call Melden Law right now. And I was in an accident. Someone ran red light and hit me, and I was hurt. You don't know where to turn. Luckily, I called Jeffrey. These big insurance companies, they don't want you to win. They truly don't. But Jeffrey and his firm and the people that work here, they just really fight for you. You call the law offices of Jeffrey Melden because you're going to need help, and they will help you. Call Melden Law right now. Hey, Sammy, look who's there. Say hi. Hey! <gasps> you again! Melvin Law, Jeffrey speaking. Jeffrey! Somebody else! Here we go again. Welcome back to Melden Law and Friends. I'm Jeffrey Melden, founder and attorney at uh, Melden Law. I want to uh, welcome everybody who's uh, listening and watching our show today. Um, our guest today is Matt Carrillo, who is with the Carrillo Law Firm and specializes in the area of uh, workers' 
compensation. Welcome to the show, Matt. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, good. I, I've known your family for years and years. Your dad, of course, uh, I don't know, is your dad still working in the business at all? He's still up council with me, so he still works, yeah. Okay, well, he's got wisdom, right? Yes. <laughs> I think, and he, he's wise because he's got a really smart son who has uh, taken over the family business and uh, a little similar to what we do at Meldon Lawn. Exactly. You know, it's pretty cool uh, that... You know, we have generational law firms now in Gainesville because when I started here in the 70s, there really wasn't any generational law firms, uh, and that, meaning that where the son or daughter uh, followed in the father's footsteps and uh, was uh, involved in the law firm. So it, it's really um, changed quite a bit. I notice, uh, you know, there's a lot of that uh, going around uh, now. And uh, it makes sense after uh, after someone starts a, a, you know, a law firm and builds it up over years and years and years and has a clientele, it's really nice to uh, have somebody follow in footsteps. Absolutely. And it, I know from other attorneys that I speak to, they're, one of the largest difficulties they, difficulties they have is mentorship. And when you have a parent that's guiding you along, you have a built-in mentor for a very difficult career to figure out how to operate in it. So it's, um, it's invaluable to, to start and join a family firm. Yeah, and you know, some, uh, there's some father-son duos or father-daughter duos or, or mother-son, mother-daughter duos that um, uh, have difficulty navigating it because you've got the personal relationship, you know, father to son in, in our case, and uh, as well as the legal uh, arena to navigate. Oh, how, yes. how are you doing on that? Do you ever have to tell tell dad to uh, chill out? Oh, there's never been anything that's ever been an issue. Um, no, it, it's a, it's a growth process. You know, you grow as a partner in a law firm, but you also grow with that father and son relationship just i'm sure as you have and so those both evolve together and but i think they grow stronger as well yeah i mean i feel really um blessed that i have a succession plan and that uh which which means you know in your case your dad's of counsel which means that he still gets some money yeah. right <laughs> yes <laughs> yes and and uh, that's how we in my case i'm still pretty pretty involved on a daily basis you know when oh. i'm you know when i i, I don't have to show up at 7:30 in the morning like i used to when i was a young lawyer i get they they let me show up uh you know, a little later. However, I've still got the excitement and energy, and I like to think that the the mentoring that you refer to is the fact that after you've been practicing for 40 or 50 years, you have a, a, a breadth of knowledge and experience uh, so you can navigate some of the uh, difficult waters that uh, we as attorneys have to uh, deal with. Absolutely. And so, it's... It, but it's not just the cases. It's how do you interact with opposing counsel? How do you interact with a difficult client? Or how do you interact with, um, uh, on top of just a difficult case? It's, it's a global 
uh, type of relationship that's yeah running the business how do you manage the the team at the office yeah. right and, exactly uh, keep things you know uh, you know we I think we learn after a while that you know the, uh, our team members are invaluable and we need to really encourage them to grow and learn and uh, you know pay them well and if, if you want to keep people you got to uh, you know treat them right absolutely so uh, Let's start off. I, I know a lot of people have heard uh, the term workers' compensation. Um, can you give us a little historical perspective on what workers' compensation law is, how it evolved in the state of Florida, and uh, where we're at right now? Absolutely. Uh, I won't bore you with the really old, archaic uh, uh, starts of it, but essentially, um, all across the country and including the state of Florida, every single state was tasked with figuring out a way to reasonably and fairly deal with people that got hurt on the job in which they weren't going to sue their employers for um, a negligence action and, just, and essentially bankrupt employers for a catastrophic injury. Um, but you can't leave these injured workers with no avenue to be compensated and so each state has their own workers compensation system in which they outline benefits that a person is entitled to when they get hurt on the job now a long time ago they did something that's called the grand bargain in which all of the common law remedies that most people think of when they get hurt as the, at the fault of another person or a company you have medical treatment lost wages, uh, pain and suffering, loss of enjoyment of life, that whole range of remedies. The bargain was, we're going to only give injured workers two of those remedies, medical treatment and lost wages. Nothing else they're entitled to. However, it's going to be a no-fault system, meaning you don't have to go in and prove that your employer was the cause of the injury. Anyone that gets hurt on the job is entitled to these two categories of benefits. For good or bad, um, that's what the system was built to create and allow for. So how do you determine when you're on the job? You know, if I'm driving to work, am I on the job? If I'm leaving work, am I on the job? Uh, if I go to lunch, uh, am I on the job? How do you, how do you determine those uh, issues? Excellent question. And so there are particular examples that you just mentioned that are specifically excluded from being a work injury. So you mentioned going to the job. Um, there is something called the going and coming rule where it says if you are on the way to or leaving the job that it's not a covered injury. But there are a lot of little circumstances where it can be different. What if you're walking from the job to a parking lot and the injury occurs in that time? or is it a um, employer parking lot or is it a public parking lot? Um, are you working as a on-call uh, tradesperson that drives a company truck and is essentially on call up until they clock out once they get home? That could be an injury even though you're leaving home but you're on call. Um, so there are some standards that you look at and in general if you're on the way to a job or leaving and going home, it's not covered, but there are some times where it could be. 
What if you go out for lunch? That could be, depending on the circumstances. It's all very factual-based individual circumstances. And so there is a um, set of rules where, let's say you're a traveling employee. And so uh, you could think of like an airline attendant. Um, and they have a layover and they're getting lunch. Those could be covered injuries because that's a part of the employment. Um, if you have a mandatory lunch meeting for a job that you have to go to, that could be a covered injury. But if you are just an individual that clocks out, goes to grab a bite to eat, it's very likely it could not be covered because it's not a part of the employment. It didn't arise from the employment. So it's kind of, it's similar to the going and coming rule. When you leave the office to go uh, out for lunch, uh, you're not in your employment unless there's some uh, circumstances that uh, make it you know either mandatory or related to work. And then when you get back to work, then then you're covered. Yes, there is something called a personal comfort doctrine in which uh, a break. In, in the workday where let's say you're standing outside and you know going to grab a snack from the convenience store or something that could be covered but it all really depends on every individual scenario to make that determination so um, over the past uh, 30 or 40 years there's been some significant changes in the in the workers comp law can you discuss a few of the changes that have occurred absolutely uh, I would say of the past 30 to 40 years, there's been a few major legislative changes. The first one starting in the 1993 to 1994 area, because there were two sets in those years, in which they significantly reduced the amount of benefits available to an injured worker. Um, they took away a significant amount of choice in physician. They also took away a significant amount of post-injury wage uh, availability and um, those changes have stuck. The next set of major changes occurred in 2003 where they reduced the amount of permanent benefits an individual could get. They reduced the amount of um, changes in doctor that a person could get along with some lost wages as well. Since then the only major changes have probably been to um, the attorney's fee provisions that occurred again in 2009, but for the most part, it was those major, major times. Yeah. You know, I did a little bit of workers' comp back in the early 90s. I probably called your dad every case <laughs> I had, right? And say, you know, Carl, what do you think about this situation? But um, back then, uh, the attorney fees were, I think, 25% after, you know, uh, actually, even with higher amounts, I think attorneys were getting as much as 25% fees. It's changed quite a bit. And so uh, there is a statutory amount where it's a tiered uh, amount of a fee based upon the recovery. And back then it was a 20% fee at the most part. Um, or it was 25, 20, and 15 uh, percentages. They changed that to a 20, 15, 10. And that's when a lot of people said, nope, I'm not doing this anymore, and they got out of the business. Well, the problem that was that 20% was what, on the first 5,000 and then 15 on the next 5,000. Yes. So you can't really make a living handing $10,000 cases. 
uh, because your overhead is more than that. Absolutely. So you're really dealing with 10 percent. And, and from the standpoint of people listening and injured workers, they're really, uh, if it's a significant injury, the attorney's only getting 10 percent. Correct. Um, of whatever uh, fee is generated. Now, um, is there a fee generated uh, unless there's kind of, without a settlement, or do you have to go to a settlement conference to get a fee? Good question. And I'll also tie that into how the fees have changed because currently the statute states that it's a that 2015-10, essentially a 10% attorney's fee on settlements. However, that was declared unconstitutional back in 2015, where you can apply for an enhanced attorney's fee within the Florida Bar Guidelines. However, it has to be judicially reviewed and approved. And the judges are very um, strict on how they scrutinize whether one is deserved or not. So it's not an automatic approval of that enhanced fee. Um, you also have to have, uh, you have to show that you've, you've earned it, you're entitled to it. And um, it's, a, uh, it's a tough kind of battle sometimes to figure out what's going to be the best pathway forward from a business perspective. Regarding attorney's fees ongoing in the case, those were stripped from the law in 2003. They were brought back in 2008, taken away again in 2009, brought back in 2015. So we've had a yo-yo of that and the essential basis behind it is if you have a wrongfully denied benefit, wrongfully denied that the insurance company is supposed to authorize for this injured worker, whether it be back pay, whether it be um, a type of treatment that's been recommended by a doctor, an authorized doctor that the insurance company has chosen, um, anything that's wrongfully denied, if the attorney can establish that they got that benefit and that it passed the certain timelines that was the safe harbor provision for that insurance company, then the insurance company can be liable to pay an attorney's fee in the interim of a case going on. So if you have an injured worker, uh, they, they have to uh, report the injury uh, to their employer uh, within a certain time period, right? Within 30 days. Okay. Very short time to report an injury. And then what happens uh, after that? What's the you know, beginning part of a worker's comp case? And so once that injury is reported, that's the obligation of the injured worker. At that point, the obligation from the employer and insurance company is to send that person for a medical evaluation. Most often, if this isn't a serious injury that where they're going to the emergency room, they are sent to an urgent care facility to be evaluated. And they usually do the full check of, is, does a diagnostic exam need to take place with an MRI or an X-ray or a CT? Do they need to be referred immediately to a specialist or do they need physical therapy or some simple medications? But for the most part, this system is supposed to operate automatically. You're not supposed to need people stepping in and getting an attorney for this to take place. I only step in when things aren't occurring as they should. Okay, so the, the injured worker can handle that part on their own? It's supposed to occur that way. But sometimes they'll call you and they'll say, uh, Matt, what, you know, what should I do? Uh, do you, um, you know, you, do you, do you advise them how to go through the process of reporting the injury and what happens next? Oh, very often I have 
people call up, whether it's through a uh, uh, product client or a referral that call me very early on and they say, I had this injury, I have not been to a doctor and it's been two weeks, three weeks. And this is someone that hasn't been able to return to their job because of these injuries and pain they're in, but they haven't been evaluated. And most large employers, they have a HR person in place that automatically reports it to the insurance company. Insurance company starts getting their file together. But some smaller employers don't necessarily report it timely or they um, uh, send them to an urgent care that wasn't part of the authorized group they're supposed to send to, and it slows down the process. So I have to step in. I have to find out who the insurance carrier is for that employer, and I have to contact them and start the claims process from the beginning. And it's two, three weeks past when all that should have occurred. So if somebody is injured and after a few days uh, they figure out, oh, this is not going to go away, I've got something, uh, that's a good time to call an attorney. Absolutely. These are, it's not a difficult process to get authorized for medical care at the beginning of a case. Walk-in clinics, these urgent cares, are very easily authorized. It's not difficult for an insurance company to fax over an authorization. If they haven't done that, there's something slowing the process down, and that's when I like to step in, to get medical treatment going as quickly as possible. Well, what if the employer isn't sure whether or not it's a covered uh, accident? That's an excellent question because that also uh, lets an employer know what they're supposed to do. They don't need to make that decision. They just need to report it to their insurance company, and the insurance company can deal with it. Um, they decide whether there's any defenses to the claim or not. They'll ask the employer if there's certain factors that favor it or not. But either way, they're obligated to report that injury to the insurance company. So uh, after the, it's reported, uh, they go to a uh, emergency care facility. Uh, the emergency care facilities really aren't set up to do follow-up treatment in most cases. When you get injured on the job, it's most often an orthopedic injury. Um, very rarely am I seeing clients come in with um, internal issues like a, you know, a cardiac issue or you know, we're not dealing with um, uh, diabetes or high blood pressure. Those aren't work injuries unless you're a first responder. They're a little bit separate. Mm -hmm. um, so you're dealing with a, a back, an elbow, a knee, or a wrist. Urgent cares, emergency room departments, they are trained to deal with everything that comes into their doors. And so sometimes with an orthopedic injury, you're getting cursory treatment that needs a little bit better of an eye. And so a lot of times it's just getting into that orthopedist once physical therapy isn't working or pain is too intense, or you have a diagnostic that says there's a tear, there's a break, there's a herniation, something that needs a specialist looking at it. You know, <clears throat> it's interesting because uh, a lot of times uh, we see differences in uh, the reporting in the workers' comp treaters versus uh, personal injury treaters. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. <laughs> I, I have seen it, um, and I won't say it's the fault of the doctors. They're working in a, a, a frustrating system because um, when you're a patient coming into a doctor, you're expecting to have this uh, relationship with your physician, a very private relationship that um, you're establishing trust with them, and you're not expecting them to send your records off to some stranger 
for approval of treatment and review of whether this treatment is appropriate. In workers' compensation, that doctor has been picked by the insurance company and that doctor is obligated to send daily reports of every time they see that person of what happened, why it happened, was it related, is this treatment necessary, and they might also have a nurse that's assigned to the case to then ask them questions about the treatment and what's appropriate. And so doctors can get frustrated as to what they are looking at. And they're also limited. They get authorizations for particular conditions and for particular body parts that they can't go without or else they don't get paid. So yeah, I know um, what we find a lot of times is that the uh, insurance company adjuster or nurse uh, their job is to get the person back to work as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes uh, they get a person back to work uh, prematurely and they can actually cause more damage to, you know, neck, back, sh uh, shoulder, knee, uh, whatever the orthopedic injury is. Absolutely. I see that quite a bit where you could have someone that gets injured on the job and they're given restrictions of, let's say, a 25-pound lifting restriction, that doctor doesn't necessarily know that as long as the person doesn't go above that lifting restriction, they won't injure themselves further. It's impossible for a doctor to know that. And so you could have an injured worker that goes back to their job within their restrictions, and they could just get hurt further. And then that employer and insurance company become responsible for that further injury. And so... It's always a, um, a tricky scenario to know how do you prevent injury from occurring again? How do you get this person healed as quickly as possible? And you have to deal with the wants and needs of the insurance company, what the doctor says, what's best for the injured worker, um, and everyone's just trying to do what's best now for, you, for you were talking about injured workers getting pay when they're um, out of work and, and it's been recommended by a physician that they could not go back to work, what kind of compensation do they get? So when injured workers cannot return to work at all, and a doctor says, do not return to work, you need to heal, stay home, anything you do could hurt, make you worse, that's what's called a temporary total disability status, and that's when they get roughly two-thirds of their pre-injury wages. Which is just enough to starve to death. The system is set up to not get someone as much as if they were working. Correct. Their net pay from a paycheck almost always, and I would say I've, I don't know if I've ever seen it to where someone makes more money being out of work on comp. They well, will always make less. What if they're... Um they, it, say an auto crash and they're also getting you know PIP benefits and some other benefits how does that uh, interact and work well I'm, I'm sure you know because we've got cases like that that's <laughs> always a fun uh, complication because you have two primary insurance policies you have workers compensation which is primary and you also have a PIP policy that can be primary but I, in an ideal world workers compensation is doing everything they're supposed to and that person is getting all the treatment they need through that policy and then you can use that PIP coverage to kind of fill in the gaps later on. That gives them a little bit more freedom of choice with physician if they think they need some additional treatment. Um, it can go to pay some additional lost wages if those are being in dispute somehow. They have different 
threshold as to whether they're entitled to those benefits or not. So if you're getting two-thirds from workers' comp and under your PIP uh, personal injury protection policy on, on uh, your auto, you're entitled to 60% of your loss of income up to $10,000. How does that work? Well, the law is set up because they don't like the double dip. So you can't get workers' compensation pay and PIP pay. And, and that's to give the incentive to the worker to go back to work? Correct. So if they found out you were getting a PIP payment, they would cut those work comp checks really quick. And so workers' compensation has the right to reduce wages from any external source. And so if they were getting a short-term disability policy or unemployment compensation or from PIP, they have the right to reduce the checks in workers' compensation. So uh, at the towards the end of the case, uh, you know, there, you have the uh, opportunity to do a settlement. Can you talk a little bit about uh, you know settlements, washouts, things like that? Yes, um, those are always a nuanced uh, scenario because you're forever giving up your right to seek future medical treatment and lost wages in workers' compensation by settling for a lump sum. These cases can go on forever. I've got open cases from the 80s still because settlement hasn't been appropriate for that person and they're catastrophically injured and they're still treating. Um, that, you have cases where people are injured for the rest of their lives. And so workers' compensation is set up to give that person the ability to treat forever if they want. But a lot of people don't want to do that. They want to have closure. They want to start taking control of their lives and their, their medical treatment. And so they um, engage with the insurance company um, to see if a lump sum of money isn't appropriate for them to take over their medical care and future lost wages. Yeah, and if the people have private health insurance, that helps a lot, right? Alternative means of getting treatment is always a big benefit to a person where they can go out and not have to pay cash for medical treatment. And so insurance, VA benefits, Medicare benefits, all of those have to be considered as a way for someone to continue treating. So uh, at what point do you sit down with the client and talk to them about the, I, I, I always call it a washout. But, mm -hmm. uh, it's still it's called still that. Called, yeah, yeah. Called the, a washout basically means the insurance company can be on the hook for medical expenses and uh, uh, income loss, mm -hmm. right, for forever. Yes. And so the insurance company does a, uh, a calculation where they determine uh, what, what's the uh, benefit to us to pay a certain lump sum cash versus risking, you know, uh, having to pay medical bills and loss of income for the next 10 or 20 years. Yes, that's a, exactly it is. You always go through and uh, do calculations of what you can reasonably anticipate the future. And I always like to look at every single, you know, I turn over all those stones to try and find every benefit available to an injured worker to make sure that they're going to uh, be evaluating their case, uh, both the injured worker and the insurance company, on what the absolute maximum value could be because there's a lot of benefits that are in the system that if you don't know about them and you don't ask for them, they never become available. So that's always a... Um, a long conversation with a client to say, okay, this is what you're giving up, but this is what you get in exchange, and this is how you move on from your life. Well, listen, Matt, it's been great talking with you. Uh, I want you to give a little plug for the law firm, tell people how to get a hold of you if they uh, have a need in a workers' comp case. 
I appreciate it. This has been uh, fantastic, and um, if you ever need me again, I'll, I'll be here. But um, uh, it's Carrillo Injury Law. Uh, our website is um, carrilloinjurylaw.com. Our phone number is 352-371-4000. And um, every single time someone calls, they're getting in touch with our uh, wonderful staff or myself, and we're going through every single case and making sure that we can um, treat everyone exactly how they want to be treated. And I, I want to uh, put a plug in. I know that uh, we don't handle personal injury. I mean, I'm sorry. We specialize in personal injury, but we don't handle the workers' comp component. And you can have two two cases um, out of one accident if uh, you have a worker who's on the road on a, a work mission and some somebody makes a bonehead move. Uh, they they have two cases. They have a personal injury case. They have a workers' comp case. And we uh, regularly refer uh, clients from Meldon Law over to Carrillo Law because they do an excellent job. I've uh, known uh, Matt, I know his father since 45 years or however long Pops was practicing. Probably uh, before I was around. <laughs> yes, yeah. And that uh, they really know it. It's, uh, it's been their specialty for a long, long time. So I just want to... Uh, let everybody know, call Carrillo Law, that's two R's and two L's. Yep. Uh, C-A-R-R-I-L-L-O. And uh, just uh, Google it or call Melden Law and we'll uh, give you their number if you have any questions. But uh, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on Melden Law and Friends. And uh, I hope uh, the information we've given to everybody is helpful. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week on Melvin Law and Friends. Okay, man.